Thank you so much again for your time and as usually the first question i ask my peers how is lockdown going for you i like it <laughs> i know i shouldn't say that i mean i know that um i know that it's difficult for a lot of people and my partners in the nhs so i understand that it's not great for everybody but i personally um enjoying lockdown Um, I had a co-founder and uh, his wife uh, been involved in technology many years in a row. And recently I explored that she became an author of the books for kids. I was so surprised because she was a completely tech woman. So I would love to ask you, what was your journey uh, to your creative work in order to inspire young people because it's not kind of a traditional way maybe it's a it's a traditional for me and my peers but not for everyone <laughs> um okay so it was like it was like a perfect storm of lots of different things um so i i've always loved working with kids and um i was training to i was a play therapist so i was working in a school in wembley in london which has got about 80% of the people living in Wembley are from South Asian backgrounds. And it was a mixed school. It was a primary school. So half of my kids were girls. And so I was like surrounded by them, but I started to think about my kids' experience of the media that they were exposed to and how like all of my girls never saw themselves as the leaders or heroines in their book. And just generally speaking, my kids never saw themselves in their stories. Um, and we were showing them that they're sort of not visible and they weren't that important. And I think that you need to see, you need to see things to, as a kid to think that that's something that you could be. Um, and so I was really like motivated by that and thought this is crazy. And we live in this world where everybody is like equality is important and, you know, everybody talks a good game about it. But when you look at what we watch in our media and the sort of subtexts, of um, the stories that we're exposing ourselves to and our kids to, it's a very different story. And um, and so the flip side of that is that there's a great opportunity to do something about it in, in a meaningful way. So that was something that motivated me. Um, but also I had I had a career in tech and um, when I was working in technology, I was working in internet regulation. And so suddenly I was sort of um, going to different countries and thinking about their internet like who has access to the internet who doesn't um what's the infrastructure like and how does that support a digital economy um and started to see that actually half of the world just doesn't even have access to the internet and like up until that point i sort of felt like everything on the that everything was on the internet so if i want to find an answer to something i'll just go onto the internet and my my um success will be based on whether i can find the information But then suddenly I was like, well, actually, it's only half of the world's stories 
um, and knowledge that's on the internet. And so that sort of um, made me think about the democracy of the internet and also looking at sort of the, the, the digital divide, like um, what digital is transforming sort of how we live as um, how we live. And so if you ha have access to digital skills or digital infrastructure, you have more opportunities. And if you don't, you have less. And so that's exacerbating an existing social divide. Um, and then the final thing that came into my head around this time was like the media and how powerful the media is. But also I, before starting this company, I was working um, in the UK. The curriculum here changed in 2014. And so it became compulsory for our kids to learn computer science at primary school. Um, and before that, like the compulsory subjects was maths and English. And then suddenly it was computer science and everyone was like, ah, you know, like what is computer science? Um, I never learned it at school. And obviously teachers have got the most important and difficult jobs already. And then there's this new thing. Um, and so I was working with the department for education and a charity called Co Club and Google to help to introduce that. And what I noticed was that um, there was this huge sort of stereotype and barrier around tech. So like just in my own family, people were like, oh, I'm not techie. People who are techie are geeks. Um, they're maths geniuses. It's not for me. You should be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. They're the good jobs. That's where you're going to get money like, and opportunities when you grow up. And, um, and the people that were sort of the stuff that we offered to families in technology tended to be quite expensive. So it would either be a book that's like learn how to code, which you have to know that coding is an important thing to pick that book up. Or it's like a robotics kit or a Raspberry Pi, which are great, but only if you already are into technology. If you're not, it's not for you. And so um, I wanted to do something to sort of demystify computer science and make it more accessible to normal people so that they can see it for, as the sort of creative subject that it is. Sorry, that was so much. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Uh, one thing that I really love about Detective Dot, that's how intersectional and interdisciplinary type of a role model you present. I mean, you uh, talk about diversity, being creator, being responsible on the web, uh, how to define fake news, um, how to be responsible in terms of circular economy and sustainable economy. So my question is, when you construct your role model, you mostly rely on some kind of a pattern of uh, values, or you have some kind of a uh, existing uh, role models and maybe people, some entrepreneurs and technologists as a role model? That's a good question. Um, I mean, the role models for Detective Dot as a character, although I need to tell you that she, Detective Dot is going deeper undercover um, and there's a new agent in town called Agent Asher. Let me just show you a picture. Because Detective Dot, I don't know when this podcast is going to be released, but she won't be there anymore. Anyway, um, she the role model for her is the kids that I know and worked with. Um, and I wasn't trying to come up with a set of values for the character. I was, the thing that um, is the value theme throughout everything for Detective Dot and Agent Asher and the spy agency is questioning like asking questions and that taps into a fundamental um, part of our human nature, which is that we're curious and, and we need to interrogate things around us and find out what we think for ourselves. Um, and so while there's loads of role models 
there's loads of role models in the world. I'm really lucky. I've got really cool role models in my family. Um, my, yeah, my dad always told me to question everything. And, uh, you know, we come from an immigrant family. And so there's a slight um, distrust, I suppose, of systems, maybe. I don't know. But in terms of this actual story, um, the underlying value is that we should get kids to be thinking critically about the world that they're in and the things around them. And that that is what um, Agent Asher stands for, critical thinking. Uh, recently, um, I had talk with uh, Samaira Mehta. She's 11 and uh, Tanay Bakshi. Uh, he's a, a 16 In uh, both of them are pretty recognized uh, coders, inventors. And I asked them both about what uh, coding languages uh, we love. So, um, and they, they had a completely different opinions, just uh, completely different. Um, in terms of a detective dot, uh, what the, the top coding language you recommend in your book, or there is no recommendation? Um, there's no recommendation in the book. Um, I saw that you spoke to those two kids and they're just amazing. But um, I, I personally like Scratch. Um, MIT Scratch, it's visual, and as a visual thinker, I find it a really good um, tool into coding, and it sort of, it makes sense to me, and it looks nice. Um, but in the book, we use pseudocode that is based on a visual programming language, um, like Scratch. But the idea is that it doesn't really matter what language you use, what matters is that um, what you're saying with that language. I would love to talk about computer science uh, in the mainstream. Um, if we jump to uh, digital platforms like uh, YouTube, like Twitch, we see uh, that many good shows dedicated to education uh, sometimes or even often fail to the more kind of entertainment or viral videos. Um, what kind of a challenges you face in terms of uh, pushing uh, good things to the mainstream? Because it's always a bit difficult to uh, promote something that uh, uh, make you thinking about something. Um, yeah, what a challenge. So yeah, so we, um, the company is new to the media industry. None of us have a background in it, <laughs> which has been a blessing and a curse. Um, because actually, I think at the moment, the media landscape is, landscape is extremely interesting because obviously, like before, when it was linear and there were broadcasters, you, you had a totally different pipeline. You had um, people who had got to the top of their careers and um, then an animation pipeline that just took ages. You know, like content takes three, four, five years to make. Um, and I think the industry was, I think the industry is well networked, so it tends to be the, lots of people make you know make stuff but there are a small group of people and it's quite hard to break into that industry particularly if you're from a different background to that to the people that are making the decisions and then suddenly you've got like on-demand platforms and things like YouTube which democratizes who can create content and you have creators emerging all over the place and um I personally think that the quality of content depends on the storytelling and not the the you know whether your cartoon is perfect or you can see every single hair on the dog in your cartoon i think so i think that and i think that the consumption of media is changing massively you don't have 
um, kids sat there, you know, waiting for a particular time for a show to come on. They can choose what they want to watch. And, um, and that's great. And also the demographics of the world, you know, like I think in America now, over 50% of the population are from mixed race families. Um, and so that there's a huge disconnect between the, the characters we're showing on TV and the families that are watching TV. Um, and so for us, actually, platforms like YouTube are an amazing opportunity because we can create content and put it onto YouTube. Um, YouTube kids are really interested in content that has got um, a value underneath it and that can serve families with sort of meaningful educational content. But actually, it's the kids and the parents that are making the critical choices. And so it means that while it's difficult because there's loads of things out there and you, how do you make a noise there? You also have the opportunity to make something that um, means something to your viewers and that will define whether it's popular or not. I mean, if everything goes well, it's not as simple as that. For me, everything's so much is luck, but the, I like the changing landscape of media and the sort of interactive opportunities. Uh, Detective Dot and the whole uh, pri uh, work you've done is a complex project. Uh, you create stories, you create exercises, and, and you also have a CIA network. Yes. So I would love to ask you, uh, based on feedback of kids, um, what experiences they enjoy the most? So what's your favorite thing that you created? Um, oh, that's a... So, yeah, basically, we've tried to build the world from the ground up. So the spy agency is a real agency. And if you join it, you, you expect it to be wherever you are. So we have interactive experiences in places like Kidsania, where you can literally go in and carry out a mission or a training. Um, a lot of kids come into contact with us through our book. But for every book that we sell, we have about eight agents joining the platform. So we know that kids want their siblings or their friends to become a spy too. Um, and then they will download the app or the go onto the website and then they can start training up in different departments. And I think actually the department of gadgets is our most popular department. Um, and that's great because kids have the freedom to create whatever gadgets they want. They send it into us. Um, they like, they also like code breaking. Code breaking is very popular amongst our kids and just reporting mysteries around them. So we get a lot of emails and letters from kids with um, stuff that they've noticed um, that's mysterious. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about a product for kids, there is always important role for parents. Then you create uh, experiences for kids. Is there a place uh, for parents in terms of involvement or is it completely made for uh, young people? In um, the Children's Intelligence Agency, there's no place for anybody over 16 years old. Um, and we're quite strict that our content is not appropriate for adults and um, our agents take that very seriously. <laughs> so often they have, they get the products through the post and it says top secret content not appropriate for adults, like this is for you. And they don't let their parents read it. But every kid, um, we ask every kid to have a trusted adult that they can name in case they get into a sticky situation on a mission. And so we do have one touch point with a trusted adult, but when we communicate with that adult, we're communicating with a view of keeping our agents safe and assisting them on any missions they might be undertaking. Uh, what's your uh, 
favorite uh, story or maybe exercise you have created, maybe which really demonstrates uh, the whole coolness and amazingness of your work? Um, can I have two things? Okay. Thanks. So my favorite gadget is the farting selfie stick. Um, it's a, it's like the modern, you know, like in James Bond, he's got that spy pen and it lasers you in the eye and you can't see. In the CIA, um, everybody has a selfie stick and if it gets into enemy hands, um, so when you put your thumb over it, it, it takes an authentication print of your thumbprint and it will um, search again a against a database of agents, suspects and normal people. And if you're a baddie, um, it will release a mega fart. So it, like, no, everyone can't breathe for five minutes and uh, you can run away from the danger. And that is an excellent gadget. Or it, like, if it's not very dangerous, but you just need a distraction, the selfie stick can do other things. Um, and my favorite story at the moment is this, um, the story that we've just written, or I just wrote about, it's about deadly sharks attacking the internet cables underneath the sea. Um, so uh, it's a story about the internet going down and everyone's like losing their minds. Um, they can't access their social media. They can't text people on the toilet. Like, and then suddenly we start seeing the, the wider implications of the internet going down and um, we learn about the, the infrastructure of the internet and that actually it's a fully cabled network underneath the sea. Um, and uh, so Detective Dot or Ash's journey is to find out why the sharks are attacking the cables and who's behind it and whether they're really sharks at all. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Uh, let's talk uh, fake news. Uh, recently, uh, I had talks both with organization who uh, try to tackle with problem with problem like uh, Wikipedia. At the same time, I try to pick um, opinion of teenager and young people uh, how they uh, reflect about this problem. And surprising fact that even teenagers and young people are perfectly aware of this problem on social media. Uh, in places like Facebook, and it's just an ama amazing thing. Uh, my question is, um, how do you teach kids to detect fake news? And based on your statistic and, feed and feedbacks of kids and young people, how, what do you think about fake news? What's the level of awareness and understanding of this problem? Um. So for me, fake news is almost at the heart of everything in in that it's a, it's questioning what information you're exposed to. Um, and fake news is so effective because it's so subtle. It's like a gray thing. It can go from something outrageous to something that's so close to the truth that it sort of feels and sounds and looks like the truth. Um, so the way that we approach fake news is through storytelling. So there's two things. One, if you're going to be a good secret agent, you obviously can't take at face value everything you hear or see. And so um, one of our training modules is about how to assess information. And in that story I just told you about, um, actually the shark attacks may or may not be fake news. And so we give agents a sort of protocol of how do you actually like look at the news? Like, and it's, it's really um, simple stuff. Like who's the source of it? Uh, what's their motive of reporting it? Are other people collaborating that piece of news? So it's simple things. Um, I think it gets really much more interesting when you're looking at fake images and fake videos 
And um, so I think what a lot of our kids, or I'm, I'm not even going to differentiate because I don't think that they're much different to adults in this regard. I think we're all aware of fake news, but I think that the subtlety of um, how things can be digitally manipulated is much more is much less um, detectable or felt. And I think the subtlety of echo chambers and that sort of grayish area where it's not really fake news, but it's not really the truth, is, um, is something which we are constantly keen to encourage kids to explore. Because that's at the heart of everything, like interrogating what's going on around you. Did that answer it? Yep, yep. It's a very close. Okay. Um, you mentioned that currently uh, you spread your work across 22,000 schools. And I would love to ask you, how do you collaborate the schools and specifically in global scope? How it typically happen? Well, so that it's, um, it's happened quite organically. We, that 22,000 schools was through or with a partner organization in the UK. Um, and eco, it was a, part of an eco schools, uh, whatever. So they were already in the schools and they got our materials into them. And for those schools, we created um, an activity around the World Wide Web and the Wood Wide Web. Um, and the Wood Wide Web, you might have heard of is it's a phrase that someone else has coined, but it, um, it describes the mycelium networks or the fungal networks that um, exist so that trees can talk to other trees. And actually it operates quite similarly to the internet and how um, computers talk to other computers. And so we will go into their schools, there'll be an assembly, the kids will be made aware of the Children's Intelligence Agency, um, they will be asked if they want to take part and then they will carry out a mission for us. Or some of our other missions look at stuff like um, data analysis is a huge part of um, the spy work that we undertake at the CIA. So we'll get them to go through their books in their libraries and um, take data on the representation in those books and then feed them into a central database. Um, internationally, what we found with um, Detective Dot is that actually it's a really um, it's the thing that teachers like using in their classroom because um, first of all it's off screen so that makes it easily accessible you don't have to have loads of computers to learn about coding and computer science and our book covers the computing curriculum in the UK so you can take your kids off a screen and actually a story is a quite unintimidating entry into a subject if you're if you're feeling a bit like oh I'm not I'm not sure about computer science you're fine to read the book and you'll find that all of the core concepts of computer science you've already been teaching. So you're already teaching like sequencing and instructional instruction giving and um, finding out where the problem lies in those instructions. And, um, and so we find that teachers use it widely and basically they just get in touch with us and order it. And the teachers we've seen in England and all over the world, word of mouth tends to be an extremely strong um, referral mechanic and teachers trust what other teachers use and like. And so we've seen our teacher stuff spread literally like that, like oh my, like globally like that, which is great for us. And we really love teachers. Uh, let's talk about diversity. Um, for me and for my peers, uh, it, it's a huge problem, both on the social and technology level, because for instance, if we talk about facial recognition, it fails in 30 
percent uh, of cases because we just don't care about particular social groups or adaptive learning is still not really adaptive because we have no appropriate criteria, information about particular conditions or type of um, diversity. We still have a significant gap uh, of um, toward women and venture capital and so on. Um, how do you see a diversity issue from your side? How does it happen in the UK, for instance, in business and education? And how do you how do you try to present this problem through role model in Detective Dot? Yeah, I mean it's it is a huge problem. <laughs> But it's it's um it's part of the problem that we're trying to solve. Um, So from a venture capital side in the UK, I actually did look up some statistics um, about, yeah, 3% of venture capital go, goes to companies led by a female founder. Like, that is tiny. <laughs> And um, I, I know that that's, I'm very lucky because I, I did um, raise investment and our strategic partner is Warner Media. And so... Um, I'm extremely grateful that they backed the company and that they backed me and the team. Um, but it is a huge problem. And I think that the problem is at every single level that I see, it's in front of the screens and behind the screens. So um, diversity, first of all, I really, it really frustrates me when it becomes just about gender because it's so much more than gender. It's about having a total mix um, in your team so that you can create better products because you have different people thinking in different ways creating something good that reflects different people thinking in different ways in the real world. Um, we have dealt with it by working as hard as possible to make sure that our team is diverse and that our characters are diverse. So we have a very thorough hiring process. Um, we make sure that we advertise uh, in places that Uh, there is a wider audience of people looking at. We are very explicit that we don't care about um, experience or qualifications and we just care about, you know, if you can do it and if you care about what we're doing. Um, we, we take away all uh, information like gender and age and names and stuff from CVs and have a very task-based recruitment process. And that has meant that actually we've, we've got a very diverse team at the end of our process, which is great because our products are better. In terms of our characters in our stories, we've got something for this one. We've got the Agent Asher Character Council. Um, and so that is a, a group of people from all over the UK who have lived experience of the characters that we're representing. And they help us create the storylines, um, design the characters, uh, everything. Um, and we meet like every month or so and so we we're constantly making sure that people have a voice like in the characters in the stories and in the way that we're making the stories so that's how we deal with it and hopefully i mean the whole aim is that when kids because the cia is global right so you've got agent asher she's cool but then there's loads of agents all over the world and so the hope is that um whoever you are as a kid you'll find someone in the cia that you resonate with for whatever reason um because they're from a country that's you know like where you're from or whatever that's just similar to you and so actually that sort of having a global agency is um very allows us to do that but the other thing that i feel very strongly about is that when we were um trying to get this published, 
loads of people were like, oh, it's a story for girls. And I was like, no. <laughs> and um, obviously it's just a story for children that want to be spies. Um, but everybody in the industry says like, if, you're, if you have a female lead, then your story is for girls. If you have a male lead, then your story is for boys and girls. And if you want a story for boys and girls, you have to have either a male lead or a male and a female duo. And that therefore this book is like not for boys. And so what we did is we went to um, a lot of lengths to make sure that we spoke to so many young uh, boys in the making of this and, and of the cover. And actually in the CIA, we have about, I can't, I've got the split, it's something like 40% girls, 40% boys and 10% of people who say it's none of your business or that I'm a robot. Um, and so, yeah, again, I'm sorry for rambling. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, I had uh, many talks with uh, young people and young uh, inventors, and one thing I learned from them that they have a whole picture of a world. What exactly I mean? Uh, when we jump to um, entrepreneurial or technology landscape, we have the technologists, social entrepreneurs, humanitarians, uh, creatives. At the same time, millennials and specifically young teenagers, they have a very broad vision of problems. For instance, I, I talked to a girl and uh, she loved uh, computer science. Uh, she makes uh, projects uh, related to coding, but at the same time, she cares about underrepresented population and how uh, she could help them. Uh, uh, how do you try to uh, present um, a picture of the world? Is it a joint system in ecosystem that where everyone has some kind of a responsibility? Then we not just the coders, but we're creators, we're scientists. At the same time, we're some kind of a change makers who have a ability to make an action and have a responsibility. Maybe some kind of illustration or story you have in Detective Dot. Um, I love that concept. I can't think of a particular story. I'm just trying to. Th think of the next story that I'm writing at the moment um, which is which I think you'd like because it's all about fake news but um, I think that for us the idea behind well actually I do have an, a bit of an answer um, the CIA is not run by a leader it is um, run by an AI the code for the AI is uh, in an open repository, so like imagine GitHub. And if anybody wants to change the way that the AI processes information, you can just go in and um, suggest a change and then two other kids have to agree to that change. Um, and so the idea of the AI is that kids all over the world can say, these are my skills or this is the mysteries that I want to solve or whatever. And then Heady, um, the AI crunches that data and then can send it back out. And the idea behind the way that the whole of the CIA works is that if you go out there and operate on your own, much less likely to, um, to do great things and to, that teamwork and collaboration is essential, particularly in a global world. Their nemesis is a tech trillionaire. She's like, she's like the youngest ever tech trillionaire and, and her fingers are in all of the global pies. And so it doesn't matter where you're physically based. The whole of the CIA needs to come together to help defeat her and her global tech empire. But I can't think of a particular story, but it's sort of embedded in the way that the CIA thinks. 
Uh, last years, um, I spent one of the most uh, fascinating experiences in, in my life, uh, making hackathons in uh, emerging regions and places like the Middle East, uh, in Africa. Uh, and one of my mindset was uh, we can change the world with computer science, joint action, not politics, but just an action, collaborativity, uh, diversity. Uh, through your experience and your journey, do you strong belief that it's actual tool what works? I mean, when we teach people to have a skills, uh, use technology, use collaborativity, and make change. I strongly believe that the that collab that collaboration and creativity um, will create a change. And I think that today, technology is an extremely effective tool to help create that change. But it is just a tool. And it, like any tool, it depends on how it's being used. And so I think it provides a lot more opportunities or opportunities that perhaps didn't exist before for um, people to come together and make something and, and be empowered to do something about something that stands um, separately to any political system or whatever. But I don't think it is the answer. I think it is the tool that helps us create what we want to create. And it will reflect our desires rather than create our desires. And finally, what would you say to teenagers or kids who, uh, who just become interested in coding and computer science and maybe would love to become an agent in a CIA network? <laughs> I'd say that the first um, step in becoming an agent is figuring out how you become an agent. Um, and for kids that want to pursue technology, I'd say like a thousand percent go for it. Um, for me, it has been about finding something I'm interested in and then how can technology like uh, make that experience even cooler. So I like music. So how can I use um, tech to create music or um, whatever, whatever you like. So that's um, often a really good route in. Like when we say, we don't say to kids, do you want to be a coder? We say, do you want to be a spy? And they're like, yeah, I do. And then you're like, cool. Well, if you're going to be a spy, you're going to need to know, you know, how to code the best gadgets in the world. And they're like, yeah, obviously. So I think it's about finding your passion and then seeing how um, learning about technology and codes can like get you further with your passion. Thank you so much for this talk. Stay safe, stay healthy and have a beautiful day. You too. Thank you very much. Sure. Bye.